Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Last week, we began a brand new series called Image. And in this series, we're walking through Psalm 139, and we're looking at what God has to say about us as far as image goes. And image is something we all deal with, right? We live in this world, we live in this culture, and something that wars against all of us. And how do we learn to live in the world, but not of the world? How do we learn to find our image and our value and our worth in God and in God alone? So I'm really excited about this series. You know, I was reading the other day in the Washington Post, and there was an article that said this, Barbie has an image problem. That's what it said. And they talked about how Barbie that, you know, maybe it's the doll that some of you girls grew up playing with. And, you know, we thought Barbie had the perfect life. She married Ken and they would, you know, drive around in their golf cart and you play tennis. And you know, that was kind of, we thought, everybody, but, but Barbie's got an image problem. That's what the article talked about. And it talked about how Mattel, the maker of Barbie, their sales have steadily fallen over the years. And so they're kind of studying and saying, what's going on? What's happening? And what they've realized is this, is that not a lot of people can relate to Barbie anymore, you know, and her body type and the way she looks. And, you know, there's no diversity with Barbie and, and Barbie doesn't ever have a job, you know. And so they're going back and they're remaking Barbie and you're going to see Barbie in all different sizes. And you're going to see Barbie who now is going to be a teacher. There's going to be a teacher Barbie. There's going to be a doctor Barbie. There's going to be a stay-at-home Barbie. And because Barbie's got this image problem. But, you know, I was reading that and I was kind of cracking up at that. And I, and I started thinking in my mind, you know what, we've all got an image problem, don't we? And we all deal with that. And we all look at what the world says about us and we listen to what the world says and we try to, try to rearrange our body or rearrange our lives to match up with what the world says. And so we do all these things and buy all these things and try all these things, you know, because we've got an image problem. And when you look into the mirror, who are you listening to? And for guys, so often we define our worth and our value by our jobs, by our performance. And when things are really good, man, we got a little bounce in our step and things are great. But when things are hard, we don't feel like we're performing or measuring up compared to everybody else, man, we, we, we start to take that out on the people that we love the most. Why? Because we got an image problem. And ladies, I know many of you, you deal with, I mean, looks and value and you compare yourself to Photoshop models and you're just like, I never measure up. Well, yeah, you never will, right? But, but there's a struggle there. And we look at that and we all wrestle with this and self-doubt begins to enter in our mind, am I good enough? Do I look the right way? Do I measure up? Do I perform well? And we live in this fear. We live in this worry. And yet God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't want you to live like that. I've got a bigger plan for you. Last week, we looked at the story of this kid, David, right? And Samuel comes to anoint the next king. And David's dad doesn't even bring him in the room. He's like, well, it's one of my sons, but I'm gonna bring the tall one in. He's good looking. I'm gonna bring the one that's the best dressed. I'm gonna bring the one that's the best personality. David, you don't even come in because you don't match the image of a king. And Samuel's like, no, 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 no. Do you have anybody else? And his dad's like, I didn't bring him in the room, but yeah, there's a kid out there taking care of the sheep. And this remarkable statement that God says back then, and God's still saying to us, man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. So where do you find your image? Is it in the world? What the world says? How the world measures you? Or is it what God says about you? Is there a confidence that comes because, man, look at what God says. Look at who I am in Him. Look at what God's doing in my life. Praise be to God. I'm gonna live with joy and I'm gonna live with confidence because my image is in Him. 
If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you open kind of the middle of the Bible, then you're probably going to get close. Old Testament, just incredibly deep and rich, written by David, this, this boy that was out in the field and now becomes the king over all of Israel. This guy who was known as a man after God's heart. Just love the Lord, man. All the days of his life, he loved the Lord. And we saw in Psalm 139 last week that it's a worship song. It was a song they would sing at the temple. And they would go and have praise and worship like we do. And they would sing this song back to the Lord. And we looked at the first 12 verses last week. And today we want to kind of dial in on verses 13 through 18. Last week we saw these three attributes of God. That God is omniscient. He, he is all-knowing. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about the world. He is sovereign over all. That God is um, omnipresent. Wherever we go, God is there. And then that God is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. He is greater than anything we face. And David sets all that up in verses 1 through 12. And then he comes to verse 13. And let's put this up on the screen. And we're going to read this together, okay? Let's read this out loud together. Ready? One, two, three. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? That's what God thinks about you. If you're taking notes today, number one is this. You were created by God and for God. You were created by God and for God. Look what he says, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You ever thought that? See, what happens a lot of times, we look in the mirror and we see all the things that are wrong with us, right? We just, oh, why do I look like this? What happened there? Oh. Instead of looking and going, wow, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Good job, God. Way to go, you know? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't look exactly like Barbie. I don't want me to get, but look, like, thank you, God, for making me. Thank you, God. Thank you for breathing breath in my lungs, for giving me life, for giving me an opportunity. Father, for putting people around me. God, thank you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that. St. Augustine, he wrote this. He said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains. Any of you mountain people, you love me, you just feel close to God when you're in the mountains? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, you know, at the huge waves of the sea, any beach people? You go to the beach and you're just like, man, that's it. And I connect with the Lord when I'm at the beach. There's just something about that. At the long courses of the rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars. Sometimes you just stand out and you look at the stars like, wow, we serve a big God, don't we? He is amazing. And then St. Augustine said, and they pass by themselves without ever wondering. And they pass by themselves without ever 
wondering, have you ever thought about your body? Think about this. I wrote down some facts. This is facts about your body, right? Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. It has 10 billion, that's with a B, 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. That information comes to your brain in the miracle of the eye, which has 100 million receptor cells, rods and cones, in the eye. Your retina has four other layers of nerve cells. All together, the system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before the image even gets to the optic nerve. You think about that. You think about your eye. It's unbelievable, isn't it? You focus on something here, something there. You understand it. You get it. 10 billion calculations a second. I love this. Your tear duct supplies a bacteria-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tears that fight infections differ from the tears of sadness. How crazy is that? The tears that fight infections in your eyes differ than the tears of sadness, which contain 24% more protons. He says one square inch of your skin, one square inch of your skin. Think about your skin and how big your skin is. Think about this. One square inch of your skin has about 625 sweat glands, 19 feet of blood vessels, and 19,000 sensory cells. Working in coordination with your brain, it maintains your body at a steady 98.6 degrees under all weather conditions. Never thought about that? How does my body stay this way? How in the world? You have more than 200 bones. Your body has more than 200 bones. And they each fit perfectly, effectively, and efficiently connected intricately to one another through lubricated joints that cannot be perfectly duplicated by modern science. As great as modern science is, it can't get our bones perfectly aligned like they are in our body. And you have 500 muscles that connect to those bones. 500 muscles. The heart muscle itself beats over 103,000 times each day, pumping your blood cells the distance of 168 million miles. Your heart is beating 103,000 times each day. A single human chromosome contains 20 billion bits of information. A single human chromosome. Alexander Sadraus, he was a professor at Yale Department of Medicine, and he shared a TED Talk. Some of you might have seen this, but he did this TED Talk where he took a video of the fetal stage, and he, he started like right at conception, and then for nine months, and he videoed this whole thing, right? And then he boiled it down to nine minutes. You can go watch it on YouTube. It's fascinating. And so in this nine minutes, I mean, you go those whole nine months, you know, ladies, you're amazing, and, and what God's doing in your body, and, and he takes that nine minutes, and he, then he comes to this conclusion. He says, awed by the system, this mathematician, he says, so perfectly organized, it's hard not to attribute divinity to it. Really? I mean, you know, anyway. the magic and mechanisms inside each genetic structure of saying exactly where that nerve cell should go, even though I'm a mathematician, I look at this and marvel. How do these instruction sets not make mistakes as they build what is us? It's a mystery, it's magic, it's divinity. All the eggs and sperm that resulted in the total population of this planet could fit into two quart jars. And from those tiny cells result seven billion people. Seven billion people. And here's the fact. 
There are no two people in the world who are exactly alike. Do you realize? There is no other person in the world who is exactly like you. God made you unique. God made you for a purpose. God made you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. This is such a great verse. It says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. And what's that last two words? For him. You were created by God and you were created for God. If you ever look at your life and you wonder, why am I here? Well, God made you. And God made you for a relationship with him. You were created by God and for God. That's why when we chase after all the things of the world and we think that all these things are gonna fill this void in my life, you know, if I have more money, more success, if I'm better at my job, if I'm better looking, if I do this or that, and we think all that stuff's gonna set. It doesn't, why? Because we were made in the image of God. And it's when we find our worth and our value in him that life begins to make sense. God says to you today, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are that important to me. Man, that ought to give us confidence. Here's the second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Because we are made in the image of God, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. David writes, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Now, what's the secret place? The secret place is the womb. I mean, back then they didn't have ultrasounds. They couldn't really tell what was happening or going on. So when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. See, God has given you this amazing gift. I mean, really, your life is an amazing gift from God. Your mind, your soul, your body. And you have a responsibility. And I have a responsibility. You know, if you're a parent, you remember when your child turns 16 or you're kind of thinking about those days ahead and you're going, you know, do I get them a car? Do I get them a car? If you're, you're a parent, you kind of, kind of work through all that and how do they earn it and how will they appreciate it? Because what happens many times, if you just give somebody something, a lot of times they don't take care of it, right? And if you're a parent and you, you give your kid a car and then you come back and you look in their car, it's a teenager, right? There's wrappers everywhere. It's all over the place. You're going, come on. This was a gift take care of it, you know? And they're just like, ah, oh, well, you know, but you gotta learn to appreciate that. And it's a gift. See, back in the early church days, there was a heresy that was going around and the heresy was called Gnosticism, Gnosticism. And so sometimes you're reading through the New Testament and, and they're refuting this Gnosticism, this heresy. But the heresy said this, that the body is evil because the body's gonna die, but the spirit is good because the spirit's gonna go on. And therefore, you know, it kind of broke down body and spirit, separated the two. And, and so the rationale that came with the Greeks and that Greek way of life was, hey, well, if the spirit's going to go on, but the body's going to decay, then do whatever I want to with my body, right? You know, and so it just led to a lot of debauchery, a lot of sin, sexual immorality, a lot of bad decisions because people just didn't take care of their body. I mean, it was like, wow, well, the spirit's going to go on, the body's not, so I'll do whatever I want to. And here's what the apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That we have this responsibility to take care of every aspect of us. That 
that God's doing something bigger in our lives and this, this call to trust him. I had a chance to um, sit down with Nick. Uh, Nick Allen, as all you guys know, he's our pastor of discipleship. And, and so I was talking with Nick because Nick has been on this incredible journey. We've kind of watched it before our eyes, but Nick has lost 90 pounds, 90 pounds. And, and I said, Nick, you know, what inspired you? And I want you to hear from him this morning in this interview. Well, Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk today. Uh, Nick, I want you to know we're proud of you. I mean, we have uh, watched you as a church. We've watched this transformation take place in your life physically. You've lost close to 90 pounds, and uh, that's incredible. So tell us, what inspired you? Um, I think the big inspiration is just a long-term struggle and a long-term um, just difficulty being able to manage this area of my life um, and a big struggle with that forever. I mean, as long as you've known me, really for all of my adult life, um, weight has been a problem. Um, what really took hold of my life um, over the last 18 months to make it a reality for me um, was a couple of things. One was um, a, a minor health scare, you know, where I, I kind of got in, <laughs> got one-on-one -on -one with my doctor and figured out some things that were kind of heading in the wrong direction. Um, but then the other thing was just part of my relationship with God and what, what He chose to do in my life at a significant moment. So. Wow. Well, how did you do it? I mean, losing 90 pounds is not, is not easy. The, the big thing along the way that, that really kind of um, that, that made the transition, people want to know, like, what did you do? What products did you try? What exercise program? What diet did you do? And, and we have all of those answers. Um, but what I really did was to pray. I know that sounds like the church answer, which we're at church, so I'm happy to provide that. But uh, it, it was prayer. I, um, I didn't know, and this isn't a prideful thing, I just, I didn't know that there was still yet a corner of my heart that I didn't just fully trust God, that I didn't just fully believe that He was capable of hearing us and answering us and showing up for us. I, I got into a phase of, of my life and my prayer life where I was prioritizing for God the things that were important. I mean. We, we are, JMI is up front here at Rolling Hills, and so I'm hearing about orphans, and so we've got to pray for the orphans. Mission trips are happening. I've got to pray for mission trips, um, family ministry, and discipleship. I know homes that are broken and falling apart, those have got to be at the top of my prayer list. And so personal needs just got really low on the totem pole. There are things that, gosh, if I'm going to have time praying today, I need to be praying about the really big things that we need God to do in people's lives. And things for me just kept going further down the list. Um, I also got into a point in my own physical health where I blame myself because it was really, why wasn't I more disciplined? Why wasn't I able to exercise more regularly? Why wasn't I able to control my eating habits and to, and to make better choices? And so it was a blame issue and it was a discipline issue. Um, and until I was willing to say, okay, yeah, some of this may be my fault, but God wants to help me with that too. And to really turn it over him and to say, okay, here I am and I need your help. What, what am I going to do next? Um, that's when something clicked and it became possible for me. Wow. That's, that's powerful. It really is. And talk about, you've been talking about praying and, and this connection with the Lord. Talk about that spiritual connection between our body image and your relationship with God. You know, He gave us these bodies. Um, and they are, because of the fall, not going to last forever. Um, and this world is full of really good things that can do great stuff for our bodies um, and help us to live in a way that honors Him. Um, and this world is also full of really good things that don't help us honor Him. And I enjoyed a lot of them. And so that was part of the process for me. It's just learning how to limit and learning how to trust um, in, 
and the knowledge that God had given and the resources that he had provided and the wisdom that was coming. Um, and so body image in terms of our relationship with God, I mean, it is a temple. Um, and so we don't want to foul it up. We want to do our best with the resources that he's given us. And um, we say that with regard to finances. We say that with regard to talents and abilities. But, but this body that we have is also a resource. Um, and I want, to, I want to live as long as he wants me to live with it and be as healthy as I possibly can with it so that I can do the most for him that I can with it. How does Satan use body image in the world to, to war against us as believers? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> Um, we are just as a culture kind of obsessed with ourselves <laughs> and the media gives us lots of images of what an idealized self is and, and what a, an ideal goal is and not only does it give us these ideal images of how we should look um, but it provides for us all the wrong reasons that we should want to look that way um, we are, are visual people um, we see ourselves we look at ourselves and we also compare ourselves um, and so those can be just distractions that he used to prevent us from seeing who God is and what he wants to do with us. Um, so I think, you know, for me personally, I think Satan attacked on both fronts. He attacked on the front of, well, this is what you're supposed to look like and you don't. Um, but he also attacked on the front of, this is why you're supposed to look like that. Um, and those were also lies. So even having good goals about health, we can achieve um, uh, a body image or a, a weight loss status or even a physical fitness and an ability to exercise and perform for all the wrong reasons, and that's still a distraction from what God wants to do in our lives. And so um, now it's kind of become the balance of doing the right things, but also doing them for the right reasons, and making sure that my spirit's in check and that it's a way to honor God um, and not a way just to feel better about myself. Um, and that's, that's a balance, and that, I don't walk that line very well all the time, so it's a, it's a day-to-day struggle. That's a great insight. You know, and David talks in that beginning part of Psalm 139, you've searched me and you know me, and to have the, the right calling and the right, right, so the right motivation, you know, why I'm doing this, and it's not just to compare myself with the rest of the world, but to honor God. He knows That's, our hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, so. exactly. Hey, talk about what you've learned in this. God is our Heavenly Father. Um, I, I look back, you know, over Old Testament history and the, the command to not take the Lord's name in vain, it went full circle with the Jews and the Pharisees to where they wouldn't say God's name, they wouldn't spell God's name, they wouldn't write God's name. For fear of doing it wrong, they wouldn't say it at all. Um, and then when Jesus, with his followers, asked him, how should we pray? He said, say, our Father. You know, the, the God of this universe invites us to call him Dad. When we present our needs, Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need them in Matthew chapter 6. And so we have a God who is a Father. Um, and there are moments in my life when I'm approaching a throne and, and seeking him as a king and as the sovereign Lord that he is, um, but then I'm reminded he wants me to call him dad. It's it, first and foremost for me, it's just being reminded every day that um, God is our father. He wants what's best for us um, and he wants us to approach him as that. And so that's been a real check for me um, and a real learning part of this process. Wow. Is there anything you would say to all of us just to encourage us in this area of body image? <laughs> Encouragement matters. And so if there's ways that we can encourage one another, help each other be pointed to the things that matter, um, it, it's not how our bodies look and feel. Um, it's who we're able to honor because he gave us those bodies. And so if we can get to a position where um, I'm healthy enough and strong enough and focused enough to be able to honor God with the body that he gave me, that matters. I've learned that. I'm learning that. Um, not only did you know, I need the encouragement along the way, I also need the accountability along the way because just as, um, you know, 18 months is not a short amount of time, but it does seem kind of quickly in the grand scheme of how long I struggled. Um, 
accountability is going to keep me there because just as quickly as it happened, I think even more quickly, um, I can slip into a slope of making bad choices and, and see it go the other direction too. So I want to be able to continue to honor God this way and need support and accountability to be able to do that. Could you have ever imagined two years ago that you would run a half marathon? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Isn't that it's incredible? Never even on my radar for being a possibility. And, you know, the body image, the lies that the enemy wants to tell us is if you believe that and say, well, there's no way I could ever do that, he's fueling that fire saying, you're right, you couldn't. Um, there's no way you could ever do that. And, and, you know, I would see the achievements of other people in that vein, and, and there would be a a sinful jealousy and just a, a, I wish I could, but there's no way I can. And, um, and the devil wants to capitalize on those lies. He wants you to believe those things as long as possible. Um, and so to know that that did become a reality in my life, A, it's a testimony to how good God is and how he can transform someone. Um, but the bigger transformation for me was not being able to run that. Um, the bigger transformation was being able to trust that God could get me to that point. Um, and that's what I've learned in the process. Wow. And I think it's so powerful for all of us because this is here we all struggle in, right? And, and the self-doubt that creeps in. And I love how Nick said, you know, I prayed about it. It was kind of the last thing I thought about before. I like God was interested in bigger things. But, but it was an area that I started to pray about. And uh, it, it wasn't the motivation to look like Barbie or to look like Ken. It was the motivation to go along with the world. It was the motivation to say, I want to bring my life, my body, every area of my life before the Lord. And everybody's fighting a battle, you guys. We all are. You know, we all are. And self-doubt and Satan fuels that. But for us to be able to say, God, every area of my life I want to bring to you. And I want you, Father, to be the Lord of every area, every corner of my heart, every area of my life. And God, I trust you in that. I trust you in that. Here's the third point I want you to see and to get this is this, is that we've got to learn to see all people as created in the image of God. You know, David writes, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And, and, and the fact of the matter is this, is that God loves all people. And God said, let us create man in our own image. And, and sometimes we can think it's all about us and we can get caught in our, our little bubble and focus on us. But we've got to remember that the most important thing to God is people. All people matter. And for us, as the church, as the body of Christ, we ought to be leaders in loving all people, regardless of where they live, regardless of what they believe, regardless of, you know, where they are socioeconomically or whatever they look like. We ought to be the people who are leading and loving because all people matter to God. God has ordained all their days just like he has our days. And what I love about David, this man who wrote this, is a man after God's heart, you know, became the king. And one of the first things he did as the king over Israel he, he started to ask his servants, he said, is, is, are there any relatives left of Saul? Saul was the previous king and, and his best friend, David's best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. And Saul and Jonathan were killed in a battle. And so David becomes the king, you know, and, and he says, hey, are there any relatives left? And all the servants knew what that meant. Because anytime you became the king, you went back and you killed everybody who was in the line of the previous king. Because you didn't want to make some decision later on and then the people go, well, we don't like you. We want to get the previous king and they were in the line and so we're going to revolt. We're going to put them in charge. And you know what David does? He says, hey, is there anybody in the line over here of Saul? And they all knew, oh, here we go. Here comes the bloodbath. And they said, yeah, well, there is this one, one kid, you know, Mephibosheth. 
And Mephibosheth, when the nurse was taking him out, she accidentally dropped him. He was crippled in both legs. And David goes, let's go find Mephibosheth. And they're like, oh, great, here we go. And so David goes off and they find Mephibosheth. And he's living in this little village. And Mephibosheth knows, he hears, you know, the king's coming. I'm gonna die, I can't believe this. And when David walks in, Mephibosheth falls on the ground. You know, he's basically pleading for mercy. Oh, oh, king, oh, king. You know what David does? He reaches down, he picks him up. He says, Mephibosheth. You're going to eat at my table. Mephibosheth, I'm giving you all the land back that your granddad owned. Mephibosheth, come on. You're going to be part of the family. I'm going to take care of you. And you're thinking, why in the world would he do that? Well, maybe he was operating off a different standard. Maybe his image wasn't in what the world was going to do, what the world says. Maybe his image was in what God was saying about all people matter. Guys, listen, we, we live in a world right now that's afraid. We live in a world of racism. We live in a world of fear. We live in a world of war. We live, as the church, we ought to be the leaders saying, no, stop. Stop. All people matter to God. God loves everybody. As a church, we ought to lock arms. We ought to go forward in that truth. Because of the grace that we've received, we didn't deserve it. But God in his grace and his mercy has lavished his love on us. The other night we had a baptism night. It was two Sunday nights ago. We had a prayer time before and then we celebrated the baptism of all these people being baptized. And, and as we were praying, I looked around the room. There were a lot of people here. We were all out in the gallery. And you know what I saw? It was amazing. I saw Saman. Saman was born in Iran. He gave his life to Christ. He had to flee because there was persecution. He, he came here and he's a part of our church. He goes to our Nolensville campus and, and Saman is so faithful. Every Sunday he's setting up and he's just like, look at what God's done for me. And I was like, man, I love this guy. I, I saw these two sisters from Chile. Susan, who's been a part of our church from almost day one and just seeing her smile and her joy and her sister. And, and I looked around, I saw this family from Brazil who moved here recently. I saw another family from Brazil who's been a part of the church almost from the beginning. I, I saw a kid being baptized who was born in Russia and his brother and his sister, and I saw a girl from Ethiopia, and I saw another guy from the Philippines, and I'm looking around, and I'm just seeing African Americans, Hispanics, and I'm even seeing people from Texas. It's crazy. I mean, it's like, where in the world they come from, right? And then I'm seeing people from California, I'm seeing people from Pennsylvania, and I started thinking, this is the church. And I'm looking at a two and a half week old baby over there in the arms of her mom, and I'm looking at an 85 year old widow over here, and I'm thinking, what would bring us all together? I'm looking at all different socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter. I'm all of different body shapes. You know what? But you know what unites us is the love that we receive in Christ. Because all people matter to God. And as believers, man, we can't sit there and compare ourselves or judge people or anything else. We need to sit there and just say, I want to love people the way God loves people. And that's what separated Jesus. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Why? Because Jesus loved he did. He loved the thief on the cross, <laughs> the guy who couldn't do anything for him. And he loved Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who had a lot of money and were successful and all, you know, wealthy back in that day. And he loved the tax collector, which people despised. And they loved the woman caught in the sin of adultery. He loved this woman who lived an immoral life, and he even revealed himself as the Messiah to a woman. And back then, women had no rights. Jesus did more for women's rights than any other person in history. Jesus did more for human rights than any other person in history. Jesus said, hey, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we're all in this together. 
Jesus taught us, and as disciples, man, we should look at people and not judge people and not say, hey, I'm better than them or this or that. Or, you know, with disciples, man, we look at people and just say, I want to love you the way that God of the universe loves me. And I'm not going to live in fear, man. I'm going to live in faith, and I'm going to live a life of love and a life of grace. One day, Jesus was teaching, and this successful guy, he's kind of a religious guy, was at church, you know, but it, it became about him, and he came up and tried to trap Jesus. And he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You know, out of the 613 laws in the Old Testament, what's the greatest one of them all? And you know what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, the second is like it. Hold on, man. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the guy, it says this, that he wanted to justify himself. And so he says, well, who's my neighbor? You know, he's thinking, well, that's the person who lives next door to me. That's the person who looks like me. That's the person who votes the same way I do. That's this person, you know. And Jesus goes, well, I'll tell you a story about who your neighbor is. There was a guy going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was Jewish. He fell into the hands of robbers. They beat him up. And then he says, you know what, a priest came by and he just walked by on the other side. And a Levite, a leader in the church, came by and he walked by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and the Jews are like, oh, the Samaritans, we hate the Samaritans. We don't like them at all. We don't. And the Samaritan comes by and he gets down off of his donkey and he begins to bandage his wounds. And he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn. And he says to the innkeeper, hey, take care of this guy. I'll pay whatever it takes. And Jesus says, who do you think is his neighbor? Who do you think is your neighbor? You see, we have a calling. Recently, I heard Melinda Gates speak. You know, Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, I mean, you know, a lot of money, right? $70 billion or whatever. But you probably also know that Melinda Gates helped start the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation. And now she goes all over the world because she said this, when I was growing up, my parents took me to church and I'm a person of faith. And she said, what I've realized is this, that all lives in the world were created equal. And we're called to love people. And so Melinda Gates will go in in a pair of khakis and a t-shirt and a hat on. Nobody knows who she is. And she'll sit down on the floor in a hut in Africa or in the poorest parts of South America or in India. And she said, I just listened and say, hey, what do you need? How can we help you? The Gates have decided to give all their money away. And now Warren Buffett, and she said there's 155 billionaires who've committed to give at least half their money away to help with the needs in the world. And she goes, I just have to tell you guys what's happening. She goes, so often we see this bleak picture of what's happening in the world. She goes, but I'm telling you, I've been all over the world now. And do you know over the past several years, extreme poverty in the world has been cut in half? There are people eating today and nourished today because there's people who are generous and there's people that are seeing all lives matter. She goes, do you know that, that infant, the death of infants at birth in third world countries has been cut in half? Do you realize that moms in third world countries who die giving birth, that's been cut by 46%? She goes, people are starting to get it. And we can live in a world of fear, or we can live in a world of faith. And I believe when Jesus said this, right, love your neighbor as you loved yourself. You know what's important in that to me? Is that we've got to learn to love ourselves. And when we begin to have a healthy image of who God made us, then we could turn around and start to love other people and say, you matter, you matter, you matter. I want the best for you. I believe in you. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna pray for you. I want you there.
And guys, I know it's a struggle. And David wrote here in verse 17, he said this, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Do you know what God's thoughts are of you? Do you know what God thinks about when he thinks about you? God just thinks, wow, they are beautiful. They are fearfully, wonderfully, they are so beautiful. Man, I am proud of them. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of her. And God thinks I love you. I love them so much. I love him. I love her. I'm so honored to be their dad, their father, their God. Guys, I have three daughters. <laughs> I have three daughters, and I don't want them to find their image in Barbie. I want them to find their image in God. I want them to find their image in a God who says, you are beautiful. I don't care what the world says. I don't care the standards it puts out. What about you? Do you realize what God says about you? Have you heard from a God who says, hey, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I made you just perfect. And I will always love you. In fact, I love you so much, I sent my one and only son who died for you. I want you to know that grace. I want you to know that God. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe as somebody who came up after the service, they just said, Jeff, this is a battle for me. I'm like, welcome to the club. Maybe for you, it's been a battle. Maybe it's been about body image, or maybe it's been about money or success. Maybe you find yourself comparing yourself to everybody else. Today, would you just say, God, you made me. And God, you love me. And God, I want to dedicate my life to you. I'm tired of comparing myself to Photoshop models. I'm tired of comparing myself to leaders in industry. I, I, want, to, I want to find my worth and my value in you, God. Maybe for you, it's a day of salvation. Just saying, Jesus, I need you. I confess my past. I confess my mistakes. And God, I receive your grace today. Change me, transform me from the inside out. Forgive me and make me new. Maybe for you, you're already a Christ follower, but boy, if you're honest in your life, you started to drift toward the world. And you're allowing the world to define you. Today, would you just say, get behind me, Satan. My God is greater. And I'm going to live whatever days, God, you have for me on this earth. I'm going to live them for you. I'm going to live them for you. Because I was made by you and I was made for you. And I am holy and completely yours.
So Father, here we are, your disciples today. And God, we confess to you the struggle, but God, we confess too that you are greater. And I pray this morning, God, that our worth and our value would be found in you. That you would draw us close to your heart. That we would understand that you are proud of us. <laughs> and you think we're beautiful, that you love us. And Father, we would put a stake in the ground to say, going forward, going forward, I'm finding my image in my God. So Lord Jesus, take captive every thought and transform us, oh God, from the inside out. Search our heart. We give our lives to you. In the beautiful, holy, precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, listen, you're not alone. You're not. You've got a God who loves you, and you've got a church that wants to walk with you. Guys, we're in this together. <laughs> Praise be to God, we're in this together by his grace. This time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. It's a chance for us to give back to God, a chance for us to invest in his kingdom and for his glory. And Guys, we've all been blessed, haven't we? <laughs> and do you know a percentage of what we give, it goes to impact orphans in Moldova and the Amazon and it goes to impact people in South Africa and around the world. Let's don't live in fear. Let's live in faith. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love for you to give us your communication card. We could follow up with you and tell you what God's doing. Also, if you have a prayer request, drop that in the basket, and we'll pray with you and pray for you. So let's respond by giving right now. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us today, for speaking to our hearts. Now change us, oh God, from the inside out. Father, help us to, to look in the mirror and to realize what we've been given breath in our lungs, hope in our lives, opportunities, Father, that we've been blessed, not just for us, but God, we've been blessed to be a blessing. So Lord Jesus, we give back to you right now, and it's in the name, the beautiful name of Jesus we pray, amen.